0: So uh, my agent at the time was basically like, well, how would you feel about sending, to my mom, how would you feel about sending your daughter, your 14-year-old daughter to Japan for three to four months?
1: This is Alexis Ren. She's a model and activist who's appeared on Dancing with the Stars and the pages of Sports Illustrated. Right now, she has more Instagram followers than the populations of some small nations. But her first solo modeling gig was in Japan. It was her first time out of the country. It was actually the first time she'd been on an airplane. She was basically on her own in one of the biggest cities in the world.
0: And then this was also the time where we didn't have iPhones. I had like this little flip phone that they gave me. Um, So she sent me off on my way and I arrived in Tokyo airport at like 3 a.m. So she was in one of
1: the biggest cities in the world, didn't speak the language, in a house with a handful of other young models in the same position.
0: So every day they would hand you a little slip and it was like a little map and it was like the timing that you had to be there and it was all these, and it's a map of the Tokyo map. I want everyone to like stop this podcast and Google the map of the Tokyo subway. Because that is the most intense looking thing I've ever seen. None of it I could pronounce. Um, Like now, I could pronounce it. I I lived in Shinjuku and it was the Marinucci line. (laughs) In later years,
1: Alexis would learn to speak Japanese and she actually lived in Japan for some time. But here, on the way home from her very first gig, she did what so many Americans in foreign countries tend to do. She got very, very lost.
0: And my first job, I think it was, it was out of Tokyo a little bit. And um, I had to go through Shibuya to get there. And I was in the, I forgot which line I was at, but I was in a subway line. And then I got off at the wrong exit. Then my phone died. And I was in literally the busiest part of Tokyo, which is Shibuya. All I knew is was like the most craziest, busiest place I've ever been in. I literally just sat on the sidewalk and I started crying because I just didn't know what to do. No one spoke English. I would like walk up to so many people being like, hello, like, I I didn't know how to like speak anything except excuse me. So I just sat down defeated and I was like, well, this is it, this is the end for me. Like thinking this is the end of the world. And I was just sitting there crying, uh, just trying to figure out what to do, how to get home.
1: It was late, she was stranded, and she was totally hopeless, or so she thought.
0: And this lady saw me, and she's like older, she might have been in her late 30s, early 40s. She saw me crying, and she came and she just sat next to me. And she didn't say anything, she just sat next to me, and she put her arm on my back. And I looked at her and I was just like, do you speak English? And she was like, no. And I was just like, fuck, well you're not any <laughs> So I just keep crying. And then she took out her map and she started to like point to different areas. So then she started, literally, we, we started reminding. I was just like, I, I would, I like spread my hands out and I was just like, "Where, where, where, I don't know where I am. Like, I don't know where I am. I'm home, like home. I don't know where home is and like pointed to my heart.
1: Through a lot of body language and a little help from Japan's Byzantine subway map, they managed to find out where Alexis thought she probably lived. And the woman who stopped to help her didn't just send her off on her way, she actually went with her on the train.
0: And then she went ahead and spent 40 minutes on the subway with me, getting me through all the way to my home. I remember once we got onto the subway and like went down back to Shinjuku, I remember getting out of the subway being like, oh my God, this is familiar. And I started to like get my hopes up and she was like pointing in different areas, like where? And then I remember at one point I just screamed, uh, what was my roommate's name? Uh, Oh yeah, I I was like, Ashton! (laughs) And I yelled as loud as I could because we always left the window open. And I heard Ashton go, hello? (laughs) And I was like, yeah!
1: This woman who didn't even speak Alexis's language spent hours helping this girl she didn't know back to her home in the middle of the night. And when it was all over, she just vanished.
0: Um, I've never spoken to that woman or ever seen her again. So I just wanna thank the girl, or the woman, if she's listening, thank you for watching out for me when my mom couldn't and then also just like holding that feminine protective energy. It definitely inspired me to be that for someone somewhere down the line in my life. And it's just amazing how, you know, this, probably, this woman, whether she remembers this or not, was actually like a huge turning point in my life.
1: As an adult, Alexis helped found Warriors and Future Prosperity, two organizations that help support women all over the world. And I love her story because it's such a small, personal anecdote about how scary and overwhelming travel can be, but also how one moment, one little instance of empathy and kindness can completely change a night, a trip, or even a lifetime. So in today's episode, we're talking to some more notable names about their own memorable travel experiences what they learned from them, and what we can learn from them too. We have Tony Hawk detailing his secret Tahitian surf spot, Angela Kinsey from The Office telling us about the time she was almost robbed by monkeys, and two very different, but equally uncomfortable airport experiences with Tim Chantarongzu and Gabriel Chavaria. We have a lot to do, so let's get right to it. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. Tony Hawk's impact on skateboarding is so profound that his career, his image, and even his name as a brand have become synonymous with the sport. Through his skating career, and generally living the life of an international superstar, he's been able to see so much of the world, so he talked to us about his recent cross-country RV trip, why he had to throw his skateboard away at the London Heathrow Airport, and so much more. Here's our call. Okay, so Tony, first off, this is kind of weird to say, but I am just happy that you are alive. (laughs) And I know that sounds weird, but (laughs) last week, one of our production managers sent me a tweet uh, saying you were dead and was like, oh, this is awful. This isn't the first time the internet has lied about your untimely death. I know it happened a few years ago. Why does this keep happening to you?
2: I think that somewhere someone thought it would be some sort of practical joke. It keeps coming back around, and then I have to make some sort of announcement on social media that I am alive, and then it goes away for a bit, so. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right, and so for people who do follow you on social media, um, which, again, is a great resource to make sure that you are, in fact, still alive, um, you post pretty frequently about these interactions with people. Seems like it happens a lot when you're traveling, where people see your documents and comment on your name being Tony Hawk like the famous skateboarder without realizing you are in fact the Tony Hawk they're referencing.
2: The unfortunate thing is that it happens so regularly that when I do share it, people think I'm making up these stories and I'm only sharing the ones that I think were funny interactions. Yeah. It's mostly happens because my legal name is Anthony. Oh, okay. So, when I'm showing an ID and it says Anthony, that throws people off or they see my face but they're not, they don't expect it to be older than when they saw it 20 years ago or whatever.
1: Yeah, we actually, we had um, this comedian on a few weeks ago, Tony Hawks, he's an English comedian. Do you know who I'm talking Oh, about? yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's not, a f- he's very frustrated with my existence. I was actually on a morning talk show in the UK, maybe 15 plus years ago with him. I have actually met Tony Hawk. Where they, they brought him out as a surprise so that he could um, basically unload on me that he's frustrated with, these, with his fan mail. <laughs> I remember because he threatened to throttle me and I didn't know what throttle meant <laughs> in British English. So I figured it out later.
1: That's pretty intense, actually.
2: To be threatened, uh, to be throttled on a live morning
1: show was a little much. <laughs> Through no fault of your own, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about being recognized. Um, you know, I feel like since you were pretty young, you have been a person of note in the skating community. But I think it's fair to say in the late 90s, your celebrity really grew. I mean, my mom knows who you are, which is always my litmus test for athletes. She says hi, by the way but um, <laughs> what's the most difficult thing about traveling as a recognizable person and is there anything that's actually easier? Do sometimes people, I don't know, give you free stuff? Absolutely.
2: I feel very fortunate that I can get dinner reservations easily, oftentimes upgraded at hotels. Those are amazing perks and, and I would never complain about anything like that. I think the only disadvantage is that you're under a spotlight mm. and people... For instance, um, I haven't been traveling recently, but I did fly to Houston to skate a vert ramp because um, this guy built it. If you build it, I will come. Right. And uh, so I built, I skated this vert ramp. And when I flew home, someone figured out that I was flying home from Houston and two guys were waiting for me at the airport with dozens of skateboards that they wanted me to sign. And you know, that's cool, but, but really it's more because they're trying to sell them oh okay like they're gonna get these signed and they're gonna sell them later and that's also fine but it's it's just uh, it's weird when it interferes with your family time so that gets a little tricky but i've learned through the years how to finesse that and i would never complain about i mean it's insane that people even know who i am because i wrote a skateboard so i am never going to take that for granted
1: before, you mentioned that this summer you, you know, you haven't really been traveling, but you did go on a road trip, I think in an RV across the Western US this summer yeah. with your family. Yeah, what was that like? It was fun. It
2: was um it was interesting because we don't usually have all of our kids in one place at one time. And I thought, well, if if the national parks are open, let's go see some of Americana. We've never done that kind of thing. Um, and we mapped out a route where we went to uh, we went to Montana. We went to Yellowstone. We went to um, Devil's Tower, the Badlands, and drove through Billings, where my family's actually from, where my parents met, where they're from. And so we just decided, let's let's do it. Let's you know, let's make it work. We'll, we'll live in the RV for the most part. And also, I learned that I can drive a 40-foot vehicle, which was a little daunting at first.
1: Well, that's. I was going to ask you, did you drive the RV yourself? I did. Yeah. Wow, do you consider yourself to be a good driver overall? Yes, I do, yes. Do you think that motor- I'm an excellent driver, as Rain Man would say.
2: <laughs> I one time rented a uh, Lamborghini on the Autobahn in Germany and drove it at top speed 300K. So I guess in that sense, I'm a bit of a thrill seeker, especially with fast cars. I don't like to have flashy fast cars, but given the opportunity, i'm gonna pedal to the metal yeah um and so uh yeah i've been you know i think i learned early on my, my dad was always like let's hit the road we drove to the tip of baja when i was a kid um he drove sort of that same route when i was very young through yellowstone my dad had one of those vw buses with the camper van top so you know we were doing the cliche sort of griswold family trips but not that often. And if we did it, we we went big. You know, like I said, we drove to the tip of Baja, Mexico, and we drove all through the Northwest one time. I didn't do it extensively. I think I just learned had an appreciation for those experiences because I remember those experiences very vividly with my dad. So I think that's what I carried on through that and being a father myself was that if we have this opportunity to travel and we can bring our kids, let's do it. I mean, they, I, I feel like there's such great education in, in travel and in, in new experiences. And, and we've taken our kids all over the world. We've taken them to Asia, Japan, Iceland, all over Europe, Russia, South Africa. Um, and so I, I feel like they've, they've gained a lot through those experiences.
1: And I think it's so important to travel uh, when you're young because you just learn more about the world that way, and it's really the only way to learn. Yeah, absolutely, and
2: and to get and to have a an empathy and a deeper appreciation for culture because everything's Some if you live in the if you grow up in the bubble, especially of the U.S., which like I did as a kid, everything seemed just weird and scary and. And I didn't embrace it until it was forced upon me as a pro skater. Like I didn't have Wanderlust as a kid, but I found myself at age 14 flying to Tokyo for a TV show or flying to Florida for a competition over the weekend. And that was all very intimidating. When I was a kid and then through my adult life, I learned to appreciate those opportunities because I got to travel the world at someone else's expense.
1: That's And at. I wanted to
2: embrace the, the experiences.
1: I read that you had a family trip to Tahiti a few years ago, specifically to surf, and you kind of fell in love with the area, right?
2: Yeah, we took on the suggestion of this pro surfer that I know in Tahiti, Ray Mana, who's actually a, a huge big wave surfer. We asked him if there's some place that's more family-friendly. And he said, oh, my friend runs this, uh, he runs this hotel resort that is an island o- onto itself. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of hard to get to. You had to take a couple puddle jumpers there to get there, but um, there is a secret break in between the island it's on and the next island over, and he'll take you out there on his, on your bo- on his boat. And I was like, sign me up, let's go. And I remember the day we arrived, we got in, we were all just, you know, a little crusty and exhausted. And I took uh, a couple of my kids and said, we're going surfing, let's go. We got to see what it has. And we go out to this point, the manager of the hotel drove us there on his boat. We go to this point and there are these huge Tahitian guys in the water. And if you know anything about surfing, there's a lot of localism, where there's a lot of intimidation if you go out to someone's break. And they paddled over to the boat before we even got out of the boat. And they looked at me and my oldest son, Riley, and they said, no photos. And we're like, no problem. <laughs> they said, "Cool, welcome." And then we paddled out to some of the best lefts that I've ever ridden, and I can't—I can't tell you where they are, but it was worth the trip.
1: You can't tell us because you don't remember, or you don't want to blow up that spot.
2: No, I remember, but I just—I I just can't. I, you know.
1: That's fair enough. I feel
2: like those guys will hunt me down and beat me up. What can I say?
1: They'll throttle you much like Tony Hawks, the two of them.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I would rather take a I would rather at least fend myself of a, a throttling from Tony Hawks than the huge Tahitian dudes.
1: <laughs> right. Do you bring your skateboard with you whenever you go on a trip?
2: Yes, everywhere.
1: Everywhere. Uh, do you check or carry on?
2: I well, I will carry on <clears throat> if I can, but there are specific bigger hub cities that won't allow you to carry it on. I was flying home from London one time, and by the time I got to the front, by the time I got to check in, I was really gonna be late for my flight. And I didn't know that they didn't allow skateboards through the security. So I carried my skateboard, and as I got to, the, to almost to the conveyor belt, the, the TSA just said, you can't carry a skateboard. You have to go check it in. I was like, I'm gonna miss my flight. And, uh, He's like, well, I can't help you. And I go, well, here, do you want it? And he said, I can't take that. So I threw it in the trash where they, where people dump their plastic bottles and stuff. Because I was going to miss my flight. <clears throat> it, was, it was either the skateboard or not making home.
1: Oh, my God. So somewhere out there, there was a Tony Hawk skateboard just sitting in the trash at an airport. Yeah, London Heathrow. <laughs> I wonder if someone snagged that. Hopefully so. (laughs) I don't know. I think a few people saw me
2: do it. They were just like, what is wrong with you? I got to get home.
1: Okay, so what is your biggest airport pet peeve aside from sometimes not being able to take your skateboard with you?
2: People crowding the carousel, luggage carousel. It's like, dude, come on. Wait to see your bag and we'll all, you know what I mean? Because sometimes, well, not obviously not in recent months, but sometimes that can stall your whole arrival for longer than it should. 100%
1: 100% it, that, The crowd thing And also just um The way people line up this the herd mentality Um, You know Getting into the plane People just lose All sense of time and place Oh yeah Just
2: funneling in I know They keep trying to figure out Ways to remedy that I saw One time at United They said Alright We have certain zones Do not stand up Until your zone is called And it, of course Everyone just stood up
1: <laughs> People do not listen Do you drink alcohol On airplanes?
2: Um, it depends on what I'm arriving to, what time I'm getting in.
1: And what's your drink of choice?
2: Uh, whiskey on the rocks. But, uh, they have, I think on United now, they have Buffalo Trace.
1: Yeah, I think they do. I think you're right. So that's good. You're really on top of your your airplane whiskey. Uh, favorite skate park in the world?
2: Oh, that's too heady. Wow, that's that's like picking your favorite children. Well, that's my next question. Um, so no, I'm just <laughs> I mean, I have my favorite, but I can't tell you what it is. Um, no, <laughs> uh, that's all right. You know, the, the, the truly the best skate facility is Woodward Skate Camp. There's one in Pennsylvania and there's one in um, in uh, Central California, and. It has everything It has two of everything it has every each each discipline each different size each skill level so it's not a traditional skate park but it's it's the best
1: where's the most memorable place you've ever skated
2: uh i skated through the white house in 2012. like i told you i bring my skateboard everywhere right i was there for this father's day event where they were doing a barbecue on the lawn and they were having us talk to kids there were some prominent Fathers, celebrities, athletes, newscasters, and things like that, and and they were talking about the importance of being present as a father. And so I brought my skateboard just because I know people are going to ask me, "Where's where your skateboard?" And then I found myself in this hallway with only my tour guide escort and another pro athlete. And I said, "Hey, if I give you my phone, will you shoot a photo of me skating down this hallway?" He's like, "Yeah, man, let's do it." And I skated for maybe a hundred feet, and. Uh, and I got a photo, and I put it out on the internet, and it didn't get uh, all positive reception, let's put it that
1: way. Really? Did you get a phone call from Secret Service?
2: No, it was more just that, that some people thought it was as some sort of, that I was disgracing you know, this hallowed ground somehow by riding my skateboard. And I was like, I'm here celebrating the fact that I even got here because I skateboarded.
1: Yeah. Well, all of that is out the window now, as far as like what house educated people. Yeah, there was, uh, Yeah,
2: there's the the decorum has, has eroded.
1: <laughs> different times, different times. Uh, the best meal you've ever had in your life. Ooh, wow.
2: <clears throat> uh, I would have to say the matsuhisa omakase. Good answer. Um, matsuhisa is uh, you, you probably know is you know Chef Nobu who started Nobu. That's his original restaurant. Um, It's in LA. And they do three tiers of omakase. And if you go there and get the third tier, I think it's about 200 bucks a head. It's all time.
1: Do you cook a lot at home? I know, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about um, eating up bagel bites, but are you you a home chef?
2: No, not at all. I I leave it to the experts to make the food. I would say I am a, a, Strong connoisseur of high end takeout these days. Right, I can tell you every uh, all the best takeout in San Diego.
1: One place in San Diego that is kind of your go-to, especially you know during the pandemic.
2: Uh, Herb and Sea, h like herbs, herbs and spices. Herb and Sea here in Encinitas.
1: Would you rather be confined to your home for the rest of your life, but you have your skateboard, or be able to travel the world freely and the country freely, but you can never skate again.
2: Oh, no, I'd have to beat skating, no. That's it. There's no question. Yeah, that's it.
1: I heard you gave up the violin in order to dedicate your life to skating. Do you ever wish that you would have kept up with the violin and and went down that career path?
2: I wish that I had not stopped playing it. Um, I, I don't wish that I had chosen that as a career, obviously, but I missed being able to play an instrument. Um, I tried to take it back up a few years ago and it did not go well, (laughs) but my music teacher did a disservice. I don't blame him entirely, but definitely this helped sway my decision where I said he wanted me to play in school concerts that were on weekends. And I said, um, well, that's when I go skating and I have competitions and things. And I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't a pro yet, but, I was definitely committed to skating as much as I could. And he said, well, you can't do both. I mean, he literally said those words. I think it was because I was the only violin player left in the school ensemble. And so without me, there was no, there were no more strings.
1: Yeah. What happened though? Because you left.
2: What happened to the school? I don't know. We, <laughs> we were in sixth grade.
1: <laughs> it's all downhill. Do you want to ask me any questions? I feel like, you know, this This has been so one-sided, maybe in these interviews, you, you never get a chance to um to ask something.
2: Well, if, I, if I'm talking to a travel guru, what is your favorite destination and or meal?
1: You know, it's one place that um, uh, that really surprised me and it shouldn't have, because I should have done more research, um, was Mexico City. When I went to Mexico City, I had no idea oh, how yes. lush, how beautiful! How how friendly! And some neighborhoods are just like very European. And then you can go outside of the city and get like um, you know the experience of the markets and everything. But it's so close to the states, and I feel like not a ton of people go there. Maybe recently, but um, just love it there. Love it so much.
2: We we had one of our best meals there for sure. Where did you go? I can't remember the restaurant. I can't remember what it was. But I, it was it was. All, we went there actually two nights in a row because. Um, we had a bunch of skaters with us and, and my wife and I kept telling them about, oh my God, we went to this amazing restaurant. I'm like, what well, can't we go? Let's go tonight.
1: <laughs> was it Pujol? Because Pujol is, is a great restaurant. Um, Enrique Olivares is there. You need to, is one of those places you need to make a reservation, you know, six months, a year out, but. Uh,
2: that might be it because he he had a connection to skating.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do the taco amakase. Um, yeah, yes, that was it. Boom. That was the place. Great stuff. cool um well tony yeah this is great man i really appreciate you taking time talking travel telling some stories with us um thanks a lot and good luck with those bagel bites too that's what i'm doing right now my daughter has a half hour so i'm on it (laughs) all right man cheers thanks again if you want to hear more from tony he is the keynote speaker at refuel an online event happening on december 16th Follow him, at Tony Hawk, on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with all of his new projects and, you know, to just make sure he is, in fact, still alive. All right, we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills, but stick around. We'll be right back. You probably know Angela Kinsey best as Angela from The Office. She also has a wildly popular podcast called The Office Ladies with her co-star and real-life best friend, Jenna Fisher. Producer Mia Fast talked with Angela about why she misses airport shopping, her most memorable travel story, which involves a very devious monkey, and a whole lot more. Here's their call.
3: Hi, I'm Angela Kinsey, and I'm an actress and a podcaster. What? What? And I am in my husband's closet talking to you from Los Angeles, California.
4: (laughs) Nice. Well, yeah, I'm here on the floor of my bedroom in Brooklyn. I know you travel quite a bit. What do you miss the most about it?
3: I mean, I love travel so much. I think it's, you know, we all miss a lot during this COVID time. And I definitely miss travel. I love, I mean, I know this sounds crazy. I love airport shopping. I used to like Insta story my airport shopping. I mean, airports these days, some of them are like full shopping malls. I'm like, oh, hi, I'll grab some Spanx. I
4: want to ask you about The Office because a lot of people are comfort watching it right now, including myself. Um, Did you ever travel with your other castmates?
3: So, yes, I have traveled with many members of my office cast, and it is always a blast. I think it's always kind of fun. Um, You know, the office fans are so amazing. And when they see one of us, it's fun. But when they see two of us, it's like a bonanza, extravaganza. Um, But no, I have such fond memories. I've traveled quite a bit with Brian Baumgartner, and that guy does not hide well in a crowd. People spot him from afar. I can kind of duck in and out of a crowd. And I've also traveled a lot with my best friend, Jenna Fisher, who I love traveling with. I will never forget the time she thought, you know what, I'm gonna take my guitar to New York. We lugged that stupid guitar all through the airport, through the airport bathrooms. One of us would have to strap it on our backs while the other one went pee. I was like, Jenna, I am gonna like (laughs) throw this guitar out the window. But yes, we've had some really fun travel times.
4: (laughs) What was it like traveling to the real Scranton, Pennsylvania? Because uh, I know you've been there a couple of times.
3: I love Scranton. Scranton is beautiful. It is like, I I don't know. I just, I love the main town square and the electric city and all the little bars and pubs and local spots are just fantastic. I I loved it. Um, But recently, was it about two years ago, I was... um, speaking at a university um, about, I don't know, an hour and a half outside of Scranton, and I told my husband, I was like, I know it's a major detour. I know it adds an hour and a half to our drive. We got to go through Scranton. We cannot be this close and not go through Scranton. And we did. I, I played tour guide. I showed him all the little spots. And um, I really flew under the radar that day. I had a big beanie cap and not that I would care. I'll chat up anybody. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, guys, I'm Angela from the office. Come talk to me. Um, Let's be friends. But um, it was just really fun to show it all to my husband and to see it again. And what about just memorable travel
4: stories overall? Um, Is there something that happened on a trip or abroad that just really sticks out to you?
3: I have so many, like, as you asked me, it's like a buffet of memories are washing over me. Here's maybe one of the craziest, ready? So I grew up overseas. I grew up in Jakarta, Indonesia. My dad was a drilling engineer. And we would go to Bali quite a bit. And I loved this one temple, it was called Uluwatu. And guys, if you've been to Bali, you go to a temple, there's gonna be some monkeys. I have so many stories about monkeys. I don't know, am I just small, am I petite? Do they think I'm maybe part of the group? But I was at Uluwatu and um, right as you enter, they say, hey guys, you know, you might not want to wear anything sparkly because the monkeys will see it. And I was like, okay, so I, I remember I purposely like took off my sunglasses, I tucked in my necklace and my shirt, but what I didn't think about were these tiny silver little star studs that I had in my ears and I was sitting there looking out of the ocean and all of a sudden this monkey, I don't know where it came from, maybe it was in a tree. It jumped on top of my head and yanked the earring out of my ear. And then I literally, I I turned very Southern in these moments. I was like, oh Lord, help me, Lord. And like the monkey took my earring, shimmied up to like the top of the tree and then it was like biting it, like pinching it and biting it. And these guys like came over from Indonesia and they were like, hey, hey, we have some bananas, some pisang. And they were like, we'll trade the monkey, the banana for the earring. And I'm like, that doesn't really work, come on. And they did, they offered the monkey a banana And then the monkey went to grab it and they're like, no, give the earring. No, give the earring. And there was this weird exchange for a minute. And then the monkey tossed the earring at me and took the Benigana. Oh
4: my God, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that.
3: Yeah. But a monkey jumped on my head and ripped my earring out of my ear. So guys, um, tuck in your necklaces. Don't wear your earrings. They're serious. They come to play. So I know you're doing this
4: really fun project with ice cream this December. Um, Can you tell us about it?
3: Well, yes. It's called the IceCreamExchange.com. And if people are listening to this in December, you guys, we all need fun things to feel good about. So basically, you go to IceCreamExchange.com. You write in and tell us the weirdest gift you've been given. You know we've all been given weird gifts. Come on. And then you select your type of delivery service and you can get sweet deals from free ice cream to discounts on ice cream. Ice cream delivery is one of the best things that's happening. We got ice cream delivered last night and it was like the kids thought we gave them a pony. They were so excited.
1: So thanks to Angela for coming on and make sure to check out IceCreamExchange.com. We have a link in our description. Airports are always full of minor drama, they tend to bring out the stress and frustration and anxiety in people. I think everyone who travels regularly has some story about being in an awkward situation at airport security. Maybe you forgot to take those edibles out of your suitcase. Maybe you deliberately forgot and are just banking they won't say anything. Well, Tim Chantorongzu, comedian, rapper, host of Send Foods on Thrillist, didn't bring his stash across the border the first time he went to Canada, But he did find out why you should never tell a lie, even a little one, to Canadian Border Patrol. You know, it's a stereotype
5: that Canadians are super polite. And you know what? It's true. The stereotype is true, except for the Border Patrol officers. They take their jobs so seriously. Years ago, like damn near, like 9, 10 years ago, The first time I had to cross the Canadian border, I was going to do a show in Calgary. And um, I had never went to Canada before. And the promoter of the show was like, hey, well, you know, just tell them that you're hanging out with a friend out here. This girl, Sarah, she's like, just tell them you're hanging out with a friend. Don't say you're here for a show because then, you know, sometimes you have to get like a work permit, you have to pay a fee, whatever, whatever. So I was like, all right, cool. Easy. I got my story, I'm hanging out with my friend Sarah, good to go. So across the border, uh, as expected, border person is like, all right, so uh, what are you here for? I'm like, oh, I'm here to hang out with my friend Sarah. He's like, cool. And he's like, how do you know Sarah? And I was like, oh, shit. And I wasn't expecting the follow-up question, and I immediately was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I panicked. And I was like, well, I've never actually met Sarah. Uh, We're meeting for the first time. So immediately like, you know, he has red flags popping up in his head. He's like, oh, you've never met her. So uh, what are you, what's going on? And now I'm like, all right, shit, I got to come up with some story. So I came up with this, you know, where we were talking on Facebook and we're kind of like doing this online dating thing. So then he goes, can I see your return flight information? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I happen to have it printed out, but here's the thing. Um, I, For some reason, for whatever reason, I also had my boy Rick's flight information printed on mine. So the guy's like, who's Rick? Why is, why is his information on this paper? I'm like, ah, oh, well, ah, uh, that's my friend. He's meeting me up later. He's like, well, here, just step aside for a second. Take a seat. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm sitting there, and then he asks his coworker over, and he's like, hey, h- h- look at this. And the girl goes, oh, so he's a liar then? And then she looks right at me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what does that mean? And he comes over, and he's like, so what exactly are you going to be doing here tomorrow? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Just, you know, wherever my friend wants to take me, sightseeing. Maybe look at some get some food or something. Um, he's like, no, no, no. Tomorrow night, where are you going to be? And I'm like, "Ah, uh, uh, at a- r- eating? And then the girl flips out and she's like, you're making yourself look stupid right now. We know who you are. There's no need to lie. And I'm like, oh my, oh my, what's happening right now? And the guy goes, Go to the waiting room. I'm like, oh shit. Am I gonna go to Canadian jail? Is this like, am I gonna get like deported? Like what happens now? You know what I'm saying? You know, Canadian jail, who knows? I'm sure it's it's very cold. Um, just off the top of my head, I imagine it. there's like snow inside the jail cell for some reason. They probably only feed you uh, maple syrup and leaves just maple leaves in like a really dry salad. So I'm in the waiting room for a good, I want to say 45 minutes, letting me just stew in my own thoughts, right? And then he calls me back and he's like, Timothy, come here. And, you know, I guess they had Googled me. They Googled my name, the flyer came up. He's like stamping my shit and he's like, you know, you didn't even have to lie. He's like, if it's not at a bar or a club, you don't need a work permit. And I was like, oh my God. So that was my, my first, from that point on, I never, ever lied to the Canadian border. I would always be like, hey man, I'm here for a show. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. My advice for somebody who's crossing the border into Canada is don't assume that all Canadians are super nice because those border patrol agents are no joke.
1: Speaking of uncomfortable airport experiences, actor Gabriel Chavaria doesn't drink too often, but after shooting a movie in England a few years back, He found himself in a situation I found myself in far too many times. He had a super early flight the morning after pulling an all-nighter. I will say, I've never been so hungover that I needed to call my agent because I was nervous I wouldn't be able to get on the plane. But to be fair, I don't have an agent. Yeah. Anyway, here's Gabe.
6: We had just wrapped Hunter Killer in London, and the next morning was my flight back to LA, and the rap party was the night before. And man, you know, when it's a rap party, you have a lot of fun, and you know, you start drinking, and you know. I mean, when it comes to rap parties, they're always fun, man, and especially when you have a cast where you get along so well, and uh, you know, you become like fam, you know what I mean? So long story short, I drank a little too much, and I remember just calling my my manager on the I'll say, hey, Mikey, listen, there's probably a good chance I might be uh, removed from the airport right now if I if I, if I I keep swerving inst- well, as I'm standing. I just remember being thirsty. I needed to drink water. I just needed so much water to drink, you know, and I, I know that, th- I mean, there's, I hear so many things about like, or so many people say that there's certain foods to eat to help to hang over, um, especially in the Latino culture. Like, you know, there's always these, uh, these myths and stuff for some reason i don't know maybe this was just a drunk thought at that moment but i was thinking i was just like i was like all right i'm so drunk right now that they're just not gonna let me on this plane like i don't know why it's not like i was acting crazy i'm not i don't i don't get like that um but i just couldn't hold my balance so (laughs) so i had to sit down and i just called my manager i was like mikey if they don't let me in this plane like I have a feeling they're not going to let me on this plane, so I'm just going to sit here and be the last one on the plane. And I think I was. I, if From what I remember, I think I was the last one on the plane. On purpose, though, I wanted to wait to make sure that, you know, um, nobody felt uncomfortable, you know, and like, yo, who the hell is this guy? Why does he smell like a bottle of liquor, you know? <laughs> so out of respect for other people, like, I think I remember, yeah, I remember just sitting tight and waiting for everybody to get on, get on the plane. Um, I think the problem was, I think it was just, it was too much of the mixing of the drinks. And I really think specifically was the champagne that did it. It was the champagne that did it. Oh man, well I think what would my advice be? Uh, if when you got a when you have an like a, a freaking eight AM flight from Europe to the United States, don't go out the night before. Just don't. I mean, you can go ahead and go out. Just don't get drunk. Have a drink, you know. Um, and if it's a rap party, you should probably catch the flight the day after the rap party. That would be my advice. Gabriel
1: laid out two very key pieces of advice right there. Morning flights and fun don't mix. And sometimes it does pay to be the last person on the airplane. You can check him out on the excellent new series, Selena, now streaming on Netflix. In the meantime, we're going to take one more quick break and then we'll wrap things up. Okay, if you have a travel story you'd like to share with us, call us at one 833 pod Yes, that is our real number. You can leave us a message, and we might just play it on this show in a future episode. We're going to be taking a two-week break to celebrate the holidays and get our shit together for next year. But we'll be back on January 5th with more travel stories. So stay safe out there, and we'll see you in 2021. Big thanks to producers Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask, editors Dean White and Abby Austria. Overall, excellent people, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Daniel Byrne, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadikudor. You listened the whole way through. It's the very end, so I'm going to leave you with a quick fun fact. Tony Hawk was going to be David Spade's stunt double in 1987's Police Academy 4, but when he showed up to set, they realized he was about a foot taller than David Spade, so it wouldn't work. Uh, just think how different his career would have been. Hmm. Anyway, we'll be back in a few weeks. See you then. Bye.